As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. No matter what happens in six months, I'm pulling out of this parking lot for the first time and I'm going to go and be my own boss. So every day was like, do I need to call someone to ask for support in some area? Do I need to read a certain book or a podcast or buy the course or what can I do to move me closer? Welcome to Imperfect Action. I'm Steph Taylor. For years, I read all the books, downloaded all the freebies and did all the courses. But it wasn't until I started taking Imperfect Action that my business had its first million-dollar year. Imperfect Action is about doing things before you're ready, prioritizing consistent action over perfect action, and moving forward, even when you're not sure you're doing it right. On this show, you can expect mindset advice, actionable marketing tips, and strategies to build a business that brings you more profit, more freedom, and even more joy. Are you on the list to get my daily biz boosters? Every day, I'll send you a bite-sized prompt designed to help you grow your business in a more intentional way. Sign up at stephtaylor.co forward slash DBB or at the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome back to Imperfect Action. This is episode 616. Ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Or maybe what they use to keep their skin looking so flawless? Well, even if I don't know those answers, I can tell you something equally as interesting and unicorn-related. Over 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support so you can grow beyond your wildest dreams, boosting leads and ramping sales along the way. They even have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. Plus, with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save up to 90% off your first year. I'll admit, it does sound too good to be true. But unlike that majestic and also incredibly fictitious unicorn, HubSpot for Startups is all real. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot and take your growth to new heights, visit HubSpot.com slash startups. Today, I'm chatting with one of my biggest mentors along my online business journey. You know, she's somebody I started learning from way back before I even took the leap and started my first business and quit my corporate role. And she's somebody who throughout my business journey has been somebody I've looked up to and somebody I have learned from. And that is Amy Porterfield. She's an ex-corporate girl turned online marketing expert and CEO of a multi-million dollar business. And she has written a brand new book that is the book I wish I had had back when I was in that corporate role dreaming of escaping and dreaming of the freedom that I could potentially have running my own gig. Today, we're chatting around the path from being in a job, starting a side hustle, 
and growing that into a business that gives you the lifestyle and gives you the freedom that you dream of. Now, some of the things we're talking about is, you know, Amy's personal path, what that looked like, the mistakes she made along the way, uh, the concept of unbossing yourself, removing yourself from needing somebody else to lead you, which I think is something a lot of us have struggled with when we've started out in businesses. We're also talking a bit around how you can start to transition from wanting to start a business through to setting an exit date and actually handing in your two weeks notice and leaving your business. We're also talking about some of the mindset muck that arises along this journey. You know, a little bit around like, what will people think of me? And this guilt and the I should be working mindset, the burnout. We're talking about a lot in this episode. We're really going quite deep. So I know you're going to get a lot out of this episode, even if you are already a few years into your business. Amy is always somebody who just delivers a lot of wisdom, a lot of truth bombs. I know you're going to love this episode. So let's jump in. Amy, I am so excited to have you back for a third time on this show. And as I was just about to say before I hit record, you are the only guest who I've had on this show three times. Oh my and goodness, I feel so honored. Thank I, you. I know. And it's it's kind of funny because I started my business back when I was in corporate. My very first business, which look, that one, we're not going to talk too much about that one, but <laughs> but I remember being in corporate, listening to your podcast while I was photocopying and doing all of these admin things. And I remember thinking like, oh, I can't wait to one day escape this and to one day start my own thing. And you were like that voice in my head, the voice in my ears of like, this is possible. You can do this. So it's like this full circle moment to have you here on the show talking about this very topic and talking a bit about what's in your book, Two Weeks Notice. So welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, thank you so much. And you know, I was reading up on the little briefing document that uh, my team gave me before I came on and I already know you and your show, but I was reading it anyway. But I, And I didn't realize you were in a cubicle before you started your business. And so when I look at what you've done in your business and what you've been able to create, you are exactly why I wrote the book. So to have financial freedom and creativity freedom and lifestyle freedom, and you're doing these amazing things and you're changing lives. So to know that you came from the corporate world, the nine to five to do this, it makes this interview even more sweeter. So thanks again. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, we're going to talk about your journey in a minute, but I actually wish I'd had this book back when I was, you know, seven years Same. ago when I was in corporate. And I feel like you would have saved me a lot of, a lot of heartache, a lot of mistakes if I had had that as a little companion along the way. So Amy, let's, let's go back to Amy, the corporate girl. Can yeah. you please paint a picture? Like, who is she? What is she doing? How does she feel? What does her life look like? You know, I always thought I would be a corporate girl for life because I was really good at it. I never thought about being an entrepreneur or a business owner. The word entrepreneur wasn't even really part of my vocabulary growing up. And so I've always since college had a nine to five job, a corporate job. And like I said, I was good at it. I like to have that steady paycheck and paid vacations and benefits. I actually like to have a boss be told what to do so that I could then do it even better and get the rewards and the accolades and the promotions and climb that corporate ladder. I liked getting acknowledged for hard work and doing well, but it got to a point that it was a little bit too much where I would work all hours, do anything it took to climb that corporate ladder. I would bust my buns to try to make more money in the promotion to the point that it just became, uh, you know, just too much where I was exhausted trying to keep up. And realized I do not have freedom at all. And so my last corporate job was with Tony Robbins and I was there for almost seven years and it was an amazing job. I was the director of content development. I got to travel the world with Tony and work on the content that he does on stage, like Unleash the Power Within and Date with Destiny. I got to work on that content. And so it was a great job, except for the fact that Tony teaches entrepreneurship. And he he surrounded himself with amazing business owners. And there was this one meeting he had where he brought in a bunch of internet marketers who own their own businesses to talk about their businesses. I was called to the meeting to take notes. And it was very humbling. I wasn't even at the main table. It was all men. I didn't see women there. However, they talked about their businesses. 
and all I heard was freedom. They were calling the shots. They were creative. They were doing what they wanted. They were their their own bosses. And in that moment, I thought, I want a piece of that. I don't know what these guys are doing, but I want to be my own boss. I want to be an entrepreneur. So over the next year, I kind of figured out what that might look like. And it was a little bit of a rocky road. You know, you mentioned you wish you had my book two weeks notice when you were starting. I wrote it because I wish I had this book when I was starting. I was so clueless uh, when I went out on my own. But yeah, that's what my corporate world looked like. I really thought I would be there forever until I realized, wait a second, I want more freedom. Mm, it's interesting because it's like you almost, you were happy, I suppose, but you didn't really know what else was possible. And then it was like somebody showed you what was possible and suddenly your brain's like, oh, I want that now. Exactly. I didn't know it was possible. And I think about, you know, a lot of people listening to your show, they know this world exists. They know what entrepreneurship looks like or what can bring them. But there's a lot of women, especially out there that don't realize there's this whole other world out here. And so I didn't realize it till that moment. And now I think every, I think everybody, when they're starting out, they have that point of no return. There's like something that some action that you take that solidifies the fact that this is happening. Like I'm, it might be an investment or it might be an action of some kind. Like for me with my first business, it was, so that was an e-commerce business. And for me, that point of no return was, I think I spent like $2,000 on a bunch of postage satchels, like prepaid postage for two and a half thousand dollars. And it was like, okay, I guess this is happening now. What was that point for you? Mm, That's such a great question. So for me, I actually did buy two digital courses. Actually, before I left my corporate job, I spent a thousand dollars on a video marketing course and $1,000 on a social media course. Now, I had never bought a digital course before that. And I remember not telling anyone except my husband, because we had just gotten married, that I was going to spend this money because they would have thought that was insane. You're spending money on a course of a person you've never met before. You know, 14 years ago, that was a little bit weird. Today, it's very normal, thank God. And so I invested in these courses and that's when I thought, okay, game on. If I'm gonna put skin in the game, if I'm gonna buy these courses and learn how to do this, I'm going to make this happen. So for me, that's when it kind of came to life. And this was all while you were still working in corporate, like you were side hustling, right? I was side hustling. Exactly. So that was still when I was there. So then how long did it take you from like that day, that day you were in that meeting when people were talking about this freedom through to that point where you actually said, okay, this is it. I'm quitting. I'm handing my notice. How long was that gap? So that gap was about a year when I was in that meeting. And here's what's interesting when I was in that meeting. I sat there and I thought, I don't have anything that would translate into being a business owner or an entrepreneur. I'm an employee. I I know how to have a boss and, and do the work and get in there, but I don't know how to run the show. And so it's interesting how I thought I didn't have anything to translate into entrepreneurship. And now looking back, I know everybody has skill sets to create their own business, but I just couldn't see it at the time. So it took me a good year from that meeting to the day I actually left the San Diego offices to go out on my own. And during that time is when I created my runway. At the time, I didn't know I was creating a runway. Now, looking back, I know what I did and that's what I put in the book. Here's how to have a runway to leave your job. And for me, it looked a little bit like this. Number one, I needed to learn how to unboss myself. Now, this was Mm. a life that this is a journey that took me a long time. But it's un- unbossing, U-N-B-O-S-S-I-N-G. Because I said it earlier and someone thought I was saying something totally different, but it's kind of a made up word. But unbossing yourself means that you are learning to believe that you can lead no matter if anybody else is around you telling you what to do or even helping you, you can lead yourself. And for many of us, especially women, we've always had a boss. Um, my first boss was my dad. It was his way or the highway. And then I get into corporate world and I've had bosses ever since. So going out on your own and no one telling you what to do, this is a transition you have to get used to and you have to step into. So I started to kind of say, okay, what if I were my own boss? Which is why I started a side hustle. So my side hustle was I took clients. I did social media for small businesses on the side, weekends, nights, um, whenever I could get it in just to see what it would look like to make my own money on my own, be my own boss on the side. 
So I started to step into that. Starting a side hustle is a great way to get started with uh, being your own boss. And then the big one is I had to choose an exit date. Now, this might seem like not a big deal, but I had to say, okay, about six months into my journey of wanting to leave, I said, if I don't choose a date, I'm never going to leave. So at that point, I was about six months into this runway of figuring this all out. I chose an exit date that was six months from then. I put it on a post-it note, put it on my mirror, and every day I looked at it and I asked myself, what do I need to do today to move me closer to that date? Because I'm doing it. No matter what happens in six months, I'm pulling out of this parking lot for the first time and I'm going to go and be my own boss. So every day was like, do I need to call someone to ask for support in some area? Do I need to read a certain book or a podcast or buy the course? Or what can I do to move me closer? Because there was a lot I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I needed to get some education in there. And so that one was a big one, setting the date, putting it on a post-it note and looking at it. Those are just some of the things that happen during your runway to, to move you closer to actually doing it. Yeah. And I, I mean, that brought up a lot of memories when you're talking about the exit date, because I remember when I was side hustling and I didn't have an exit date. And I actually, I ended up quitting because I got sick and I was in hospital and I came back and, or I was still on sick leave. And my boss was like, Hey, when can I drop your laptop off? And I'm like, dude, I've just been in hospital for a week. I am so sick and you want me to work. And that for me was like this big thing of, I need to get out of this place. And I think if that hadn't happened, I probably would have still, or it would have taken me a lot longer to get to the point where I was ready to quit. Now, if somebody's in that situation where they're like, yeah, I love the idea of setting an exit date, but realistically, like, how am I going to support myself financially? How do I know that I can make it happen? What's like a, I guess, what's a reasonable time frame, and how can somebody come up with that exit date? Where can they pull that from? That's such a great question because you're right. Like when, if you don't set it, you're just going to go on forever. It's interesting that you said you got sick and then they wanted you to work and you're like, hold on a second. I tell a lot of stories in the book about women who have chosen their exit dates and what that has looked like. When I tell a story about Carolyn in the book, who she always thought about leaving her nine to five job. She always wanted to try to be her own boss, but never really was courageous enough to do it. And then she got laid off and she fully lost her job and didn't have a choice. She didn't get to stay. It wasn't up to her, but she had nothing uh ready to actually make the leap to entrepreneurship and kind of had to start from scratch and scramble where I don't think that's necessary. If you create this runway, do it on your terms. Don't let somebody else decide for you. So I think that's really important. But how do you choose that date? Well, I usually say anywhere from three months to a year is uh, is a good time frame. Sometimes it's going to take someone longer than the other person, but anything longer than a year and you're likely making an excuse. You're letting fear guide you. One of the things that you do also need to do during your one way is look at your finances. So let's talk about that a little bit. A lot of people don't leave their job because of money. And listen, I'm going to validate that all day long. It is scary to have uh, insecurities in your financial situation and you need to pay the bills. So I don't take that lightly. But also what I tell my students and what I did is let's look at your finances and get really clear on how much money you need to make to get by. We're not going to have a year of luxury your first year in entrepreneurship. We're not going on those vacations. We're not buying those hardwood floors. We're not remodeling the house or anything like that. (laughs) We're just getting by financially so that you have a little wiggle room and space to make the mistakes and figure things out. Now, my goal was to have a year's worth of salary in my bank account before I left. I didn't come anywhere close to that. I might've had a month or two. I had to get out there and hustle and make it happen when I left. I think that actually was good for me. It like made me really take it seriously and get going. And But look at your finances and ask yourself, what do I actually need to make? And start doing some math on paper about what might this look like? Because you don't necessarily need to replace your salary that first year out. Maybe you could make less to give yourself some wiggle room. So that might give you some of your timeline. Okay, I want to have a few months in the bank. Let's do six months. And then when you start to think about those six months, you start to say, okay, could I do a side hustle in the meantime? to get my feet wet and the ball rolling, that typically will give you more courage to leave as well. But notice that I keep saying the word courage to leave. 
You're never going to have confidence to leave behind what you don't want because you don't have a track record that what you want to move toward works. That's usually how it works for all of us. So I'm not looking for you to be fully confident about leaving your job. The day I left, I was terrified. I drove out of the San Diego offices of Tony Robbins offices and told myself, what am I doing? Is this the most insane thing I've ever done? I am terrified. But what kept me moving forward versus parking the car, getting back out and saying, just joking, I'm not gonna leave, just joking, was that I got clear on my why. And this part is important. I knew I no longer wanted to work for someone. I didn't wanna be told what to do, when to do it, or how to do it. I didn't wanna be on somebody else's time or somebody else's dime. I didn't wanna grow somebody else's dream anymore. I wanted to figure out what mine was. I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to change the world or make an impact, but I knew I wanted a chance to do it on my terms. So because I knew so clearly I didn't want to be told what to do anymore, that propelled me out of that parking lot even when I was terrified to do it. So don't wait till the fear goes away. Don't wait till you're ready, quote, ready. You never will be. You do it scared. Yeah, and that goes for pretty much anything in business. Like, you know, like... Even after you take that leap, there's still so many other little leaps that you take along the way in your business. And I love that point that you made about connecting back to your why and building your own dream rather than somebody else's. And I'm really curious, like, were the people in your life, like your family, your husband, your friends, your former coworkers, were they supportive of your decision or were they like, Amy, what are you doing? Like, this is crazy. So I heard this story a while back that Sarah Blakely, who used to own Spanx, uh, most women know who she is. She told this story about when she started her business many, many years ago, she cut the feet out of her pantyhose of her first prototype of Spanx. And she said, I didn't tell anyone what I was doing because I knew I was so impressionable at that stage that if someone told me that will never work, she would have believed them. Fast forward to when she sold her business for over a billion dollars. Thank God she didn't tell anyone in the beginning. And so I feel the same way. When I was leaving my job, when I decided in that one year, that was my runway I was going to leave, I told three people and three people only. I told my husband, who definitely is my biggest cheerleader, my mom, who thinks I could do anything like land on the moon tomorrow. So she totally believes in me and my best friend, Gina. I didn't tell anybody else because I knew that the minute I told a coworker or a cousin or uh, my sister even, they would say, wait a second, that is risky. Why Why don't you just do it on the side? Why do you need to leave your job? You're going to leave a paycheck? Like you are crazy. And I would have believed them. So my point here is not everybody deserves or can handle your dreams. They don't deserve to hear them or they just can't handle them. When they tell you that will never work, It's because in their mind, they would never, ever take that leap, be that courageous. That's just not for them. So they're projecting on you. So do not tell everybody. Uh, In the book, I actually give a script of if you have to tell someone that you know is not going to believe in you, here's how to tell them so that you can kind of ease into this. Protect yourself during this time. Oh, I love that. But I mean, this was also 14 years ago, right? Where we didn't have Instagram and, you know, social media. I guess it would have been Facebook back then that you were doing to market your business. But what would you say to somebody who's in that situation? And they're like, yeah, but Amy, I need to be showing up on Instagram. I need to be doing all of these things online. So people are going to see me. People I went to school with or people who I used to work with, they're going to see me. They're going to be judging me based on what I'm putting online. And they're going to think like, who does she think she is? What would you say to somebody who's having those thoughts? I'm so glad you brought this up. So that's true. There's your, if you're going to get started while you're still in your nine to five job, more people will start to see what you're doing, whether you're doing it on the side or you plan to leave soon or whatever. And so number one, I too was very hesitant to put things out on social media when I was first starting out. Because, well, actually, I made tons of videos. So when I left Tony Robbins, went home, started my own business, I started to make all these videos about social media and how to use it because that was my expertise at the time. And my husband said, I see you in your office making all these videos, but I don't see you posting anything. Where are these videos? And I said, well, I haven't posted any of them. I've made a bunch, but I haven't posted any of them online. 
And he said, why not? And I said, I am so afraid that people are going to say, who does she think she is? I'm afraid my old coworkers are going to see me and think, she doesn't know enough about that. That's not what she did in her nine to five job. And so my husband was so sweet. And he said, babe, they're not thinking about you. They're not worried about what you're doing online. You're in your head so much that you care. They don't care. And then my other girlfriend said, if they don't pay the bills, they don't get an opinion. And that was the one that really stuck with me. If they're not paying the bills, they don't get an opinion, meaning you are the only one who gets an opinion about what you're doing. And so, yeah, some people are going to think, who is she to be doing that? And that's okay. Let them think what they need to think because they're not going to stop you from your dream. I love that. Oh, so I hope, I hope everybody who's listening to that just wrote that down. If they don't pay the bills, they don't get to have an opinion. I love that. If you're enjoying Imperfect Action, I have another podcast recommendation that I think you're going to love. It's called Mistakes That Made Me. It's hosted by Iman Ismail, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Mistakes That Made Me is the podcast that asks extraordinary business owners to share their biggest business mistake, so you know what not to do on your road to success. Now, as you know, I'm a big fan of learning from mistakes that I've made in the past, and I'm big about sharing those with you as well. So join Iman as she chats to some of the smartest minds in business about how to push through failure. On the show, she's interviewed some of the same awesome guests that you will have already met on this show, such as Tarzan Kay and Kirsty Fanton. So go on over and listen to Mistakes That Made Me wherever you get your podcasts. But now, Amy, so people see you now and you're 14 years down the track. You're running a hugely successful company and somebody who maybe they've already started their business and they're like in that messy middle where you were back when you were doing that social media management for your clients. But it can be so hard to imagine when you're in that messy middle. It's so hard to imagine that it's possible to build something like what you've built can you can you share a little bit about your messy middle working with clients and then how you've navigated from there to what you have today, like the freedom, the lifestyle, the business that you have today? Okay. So I love that you brought that up because so I ended up leaving my corporate job and I started to do social media for small businesses. It's what I knew at my job. It's what I had been studying like on the side and at night. And I thought I could do this. So I started to do social media. And I got about like eight different clients paying me a monthly retainer and I was doing their social media and I was about a year and a half in and I thought, I hate this. I hate the business that I created. And I was working so many hours and because I didn't really understand how to unboss myself yet, I went from having one big boss, literally, Tony's a big guy, to a bunch of mini bosses, my clients bossing me around, telling me what to do and I said yes to all of it. So I literally created a business I hated. And I thought, maybe I should go back to my nine to five job because that was a lot easier than this. And I had a regular paycheck and I wasn't alone doing it. So it didn't feel good. So in that moment, I could have said, this isn't working. I'm not cut out for this. I'm gonna go ask for my job back. Or I thought, I'm gonna figure out a different business model. So in my book, Two Weeks Notice, I break down different business models that, People could try and experience and find out what fits for them. Uh, service-based business, which is what I was doing, is one model. But another model is creating digital courses, which you and I have uh, that in common, and teaching more people what to do, but not one-on-one. And so that was the business model that worked for me. But there's other business models that I talk about in the book that might be a better fit for somebody else, like a small group coaching program or one-on-one coaching or consulting. So there's so many different things you can do, but here's the moral of that story. You always can pivot. It's never too late to become the person you want to be. That I know for sure. So when I looked in the mirror, by then I was in my 30s and I thought, this isn't what I like. I don't like this business. I'm going to change it. So I pivoted the business to something that fit my personality more. That's the most beautiful thing about entrepreneurship. There's so many ways to do it. So many ways to make money and make an impact that you don't have to create courses or you don't have to do coaching. You could do other things. So just know that where you might start in the beginning, you can change it as you start to figure out what you like, what you don't like, and what suits you best. 
Yeah, that's so true. And like, I think about all of my friends who run businesses. I think about the people I look up to, like you, Amy, like pretty much everybody I know that's in business is not, their business doesn't look the same as it did when they first started. Yeah. You know, like what they thought was going to be the ticket to freedom, the ticket to what they wanted. They realized they got a few months or a few years in and they were like, this isn't serving me. And it takes a lot of courage to make that pivot. But I think, especially when you're, you're so, when you're fresh to a business, you're just starting out and you're like, this has to succeed at all costs. And you get so attached to that success that you're like, I don't know, or you don't know when to pivot. You don't know when you, when it's no longer serving you, when you need to make that pivot. And I think that's just, yeah, such great wisdom from you around that. Um, you've mentioned quite a lot, this concept of unbossing. Can you talk us through what that looked like for you? Because that was, I know that's something I struggled with. I've seen this with friends. I've seen this with students. Like they struggle with this a lot as well. So how did that look for you? And what advice would you give to somebody else going through that process? Okay. So as a reminder, unbossing is the act of actually starting to believe that you can lead yourself and you do not need anybody else to lead you. Now, it sounds like a simple concept, but when all you've ever known is somebody telling you what to do or having a team around you that you get to work with and you all figure it out. And then you find yourself at your kitchen table one day being an entrepreneur and nobody's telling you what to do, nor do you even have a team when you start out. That is very jarring for a lot of people. And I know it was for me. And so my journey was long in terms of unbossing because like I said, I started out with my first boss, my dad, and then all these bosses in the corporate world. And then I went out on my own, started this business I hated and treated my clients like they were my bosses. And then for a while, I changed my business model and I started to create digital courses and and I was doing well on my own. And then what happened was about three years in, I had almost hit a million dollar year. So I was doing really, really well. And I was in a mastermind with a bunch of my peers. And there was a guy there that basically said, hey, I could help you build this even bigger. Let me be a 50-50 partner in your business. Now, I was doing it on my own. And when this man, and, and for me, it's like a trigger. Sometimes I felt like I needed a man to guide me, which not every pe- woman listening right now would f- relate to that. But there are some women out there that are like, oh, yeah. And, and uh, their husbands are the ones that are the breadwinners, the ones that are calling the shots, or they've always had male bosses. So this guy comes and says, I can help you. And in one night, I made the decision to give this man 50-50 partnership in a business I had started that had almost hit a million dollars in one year, like that. And so I instantly went back to stepping into having a boss. Now, he didn't want to be my boss. I let him be my boss, where when something wasn't working, I'd look to him and say, well, what do we do? Or are we going to be okay? Or how do we fix this? Or we would get on calls and I would end the call with 20 action items. He would have zero just because he was there to guide me per se, but I was doing all the work. And I thought, wait a second, this is not the partnership I thought I signed up for, but I allowed it to happen. And it's embarrassing to tell you that I did that. In the book, it's the one story I didn't want to tell. And I get into detail about how embarrassing it was, how upset I was at myself that I did this, and how I got stuck in a situation where when I wanted out a few years later, and to tell you the truth, as a partnership, we did well. We made millions of dollars together. We changed lives. It was working until it wasn't. And one day I woke up and I thought, I don't even know who I am anymore. I have literally lost myself again in this situation, and I am not my own boss. I am not calling the shots. So when I told him I wanted out, I had to buy him out of the business I created. And that's embarrassing to say that I created that mess, but I thought I was going to lose my business because for a while we couldn't agree on that buyout number. And I thought, I'm going to lose this business that I had created. Fast forward, and I, I give more detail in the book, but we did come to an agreement and my life has never been the same because of it. I went from $5 million to $16 million in a year from like stepping into my own, calling the shots again, really owning it. So I like had a whole new rebirth from this experience, but my journey of unbossing was rough. It took me a lot of mistakes to get there and I don't think that's necessary. I didn't even realize 
what unbossing was until I started to write about it. So to answer your question, that was a long story to say, the way you emboss yourself is you get into action, you start calling the shots, you experiment, you crash and burn, you get back up on your own, knowing every entrepreneur messes up, every entrepreneur crashes and burns, and you get back at it. And you surround yourself with peers that will support you, but you do not give them a piece of what you're doing. You create great friendships, great peers that you bounce ideas off. Like I literally to this morning on a red eye flight, I came back from a weekend in Napa, California with other entrepreneurs where we just shared ideas. We supported each other. We asked for help. That's what entrepreneurship looks like. It doesn't look like you need to be led by somebody else or have a partner. So get into a community, find your peers, find the people in the industry that will pitch and catch with you, but you hold on to what is yours. And it's interesting, as you say that, as you talk about that point where you stepped into you, like you running that business, you being that business completely, I've been following you now for like, yeah, seven, maybe eight years. And I think I, I I have a vague idea of when this happened because I think you started showing up completely. You were like this fresh energy and it was like, oh, wow, you know, she's really taking this business to the next level now. And that was really cool to witness from the outside. Uh, yeah. So I love that. Uh, I, think- I felt like a totally different person. I love that you saw the shift because I felt the shift. I, I It's funny. I shed weight even like physically, like. I was just like, this, I need to step into my own. And those listening, you don't need to almost lose an entire business to step into your own. You can start doing that now. So I, I, it was a great lesson for me, but it didn't need to be so hard. I think, so I think unbossing is obviously, you know, having, letting go of that lead, that external leadership is such a hard concept. But I think another, especially people who've been in a corporate role where it's like, you know, you've got to sit down at your desk at eight here. I don't know what it's like in the US, but here it's like, you've got to be at your desk at 8.30. You get yeah. a one hour lunch break and then you can yeah. finish by the clock. But depending how ambitious you are, you might be working till seven, eight, nine, ten 10 PM. And I think that's something else that people really struggle to let go of is that like, I have to be working these hours. The harder I work, the more I'm going to achieve. The more I want this, the harder I need to work. And you create this guilt around, oh, I should be working right now. Like I'm not at my desk and it's business hours. Why am I not working? Did, is that something you struggled with? Yes. Yeah, like kind of finding your own schedule and knowing yeah. like, yeah. So what I did, unfortunately, the, another reason why I wrote the book is I made so many mistakes that I don't think people need to make. So I kind of lay them all out in the book, but I went into hustle mentality where I became so afraid I wasn't going to make enough money or do enough good that I started working all hours. So when you when you work from home, and I know you can relate to this, like you could easily work from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. if you don't physically get up and leave the office and close the door and go have a life. And so I was working all hours, weekends, nights. And then, and I had just gotten married to my husband, Hobie. And about a year or two in, he said, this isn't working for me. Like, I never see you. You have literally lost yourself to this business. And we need to focus on our marriage. In that Napa retreat that I just went on this weekend, there was a guy there, uh, his name's Jay Shetty. And he said that he wrote a book about love and relationships. And he said, those that have happy home lives are more willing to take risks in their business and do big things. And I really do believe him that when you're happy at home, whether you're married or not, when you have a happy home life, good relationships, a good community around you personally, you're more willing to show up in a bigger way in your business. So I didn't know that early on, but I did know my marriage meant everything to me. So I thought, I got to change this. So in the book, I talk about non-negotiables. I started to create these non-negotiables where I wasn't going to work every weekend. I wasn't working nights. I would take time out for my family and my husband. And so when I put these in place, it started to look like a more normal work environment, but it's so easy to get caught up on working all the time. So it's another thing you have to be really careful of. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, we've all, I, I say we've all, I think most of us who have gone from that job to running our own business, we, we're probably the overachiever, hardworking type. And it's so easy to fall into that trap of like, 
I should be, I should be working right now. Like, oh, this is just, and I think for you, like, it's so fortunate that you had your husband there to say, you know, we need to, you you need to not be working all the time when a lot of people don't have this and they end up burning out. Yeah. And I think that's such a common reality, especially with new business owners who don't realize just how important it is to manage your energy, to protect your energy. And they don't realize like how having that time and that, um, that extra, the, the, the rest really like that produces great ideas that produces creativity. And you can't have that if you're burnt out. You really can't. And one thing that uh, I mentioned this in the book for sure, but it's something that I, I expand on a lot more on my podcast and talking about entrepreneurship. When I didn't realize that your personal health, your wellness, your, your mental health, your physical health, I didn't realize that that was so big to the success of an entrepreneur. When I'm around really successful entrepreneurs that are very happy with their lives and making a lot of money, one thing I do have, uh, one thing I see that they have in common is they actually take care of their physical health. They're moving their body on a regular basis. They're eating healthy. They prioritize meditation or journaling or whatever it might be because so much of that allows you to be a kick-ass business owner. In the beginning, I didn't realize that. My health was definitely not a priority. Now I put it even before my business because I know I'll show up in a bigger way. So to me, mental health, physical health is everything to entrepreneurship. Mm, oof, I love that. And I love how open you've been along the way as well, like sharing that health journey. I think it was a couple of years ago now where you were wow. really honest about the, the struggles that you went through. And I think you did it. I think it's a podcast episode that you did about this, wasn't it? Yeah. That was, that was absolutely fantastic. And maybe, maybe we'll get your team to send us the link to that. We can link to it in the show notes so that somebody who's listening to this can go back and listen to that episode because that was such a game changer. Now, Amy, we've talked about a lot of like the, the mistakes and the, the slip ups that you made along the way. And I'd love to know, like, if you were to navigate this whole entire journey again from corporate girl to where you are now, what are some other things that you would do differently? Ooh, I love this question. So the first thing, you know, so much of what I write in the book is actually how to get started with a business from scratch. And so there's a, there's a piece of finding the courage to leave behind what you no longer want and move toward what you want. A lot of people on your podcast might listen and think, well, well, I already left my job and I'm starting to get this business up and running, but it's not working. And so they're doing some things that aren't serving them. So the book can help you leave behind what's no longer serving you and step into what you want. But there's a huge part of the book that is a marketing guide, how to start a business from your website to social media, to making an offer, to growing your email list, to creating content all the things that I did from scratch and what that looked like. So to answer your question, like when if I were to do this all over again, number one, I would, like I said, prioritize my mental health and my physical health. I would set boundaries and priorities like no other. Like today, I have a team of 20 full-time employees all across the US and we work a four-day work week. So we work Monday through Thursday, eight hours a day. We take off Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I wish I would have done that years and years ago. I was afraid that I wouldn't make enough money. I wouldn't be able to make this work. Absolutely, you can do this in four days and not five. I wish I would have done that earlier. But to be a little bit more tactical, my email list. So whether you're still in a nine to five job and you're going to start a side hustle or you've already went out on your own, one thing that typically doesn't get prioritized enough is growing an email list of names and emails of people that want to hear from you. And the reason I bring this up is because everything is harder in your business if you don't have an email list. Everything is easier when you do. So it's something that most new entrepreneurs won't start for years. And then they'll do something like what I did, where I did my first launch of a course and made $267 when I thought I'd make 100000 because I had nobody to market to. And social media, you can't grow a business on rented land. You do not own social media. Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, they changed their algorithm and boom, your whole business would have to change. And it's happened to people. But when you grow an email list, you own that, you control that, and it makes a huge difference. So getting really tactical about how to start, I would start with growing an email list. I would also start with creating content every single week. 
So you have your podcast. I have a podcast called Online Marketing Made Easy. Two times a week, I am podcasting. That's how I'm growing an audience and giving great value every single week. I think every entrepreneur needs a a platform to create original content and put it out there. I think it's a huge part of growth in your business. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, you and I very much agree on those things. Like I, I know that this podcast and my email list have been two of the biggest things that have grown my business. And I know a lot of people resist it because they're like, it's such a commitment and like growing a list is so hard. And like, what will I even send them? And it takes so so long and it's like kind of confusing. And in the book, I literally lay out, this is exactly how you're going to grow an email list from scratch, zero people to thousands of people. So I think, you know, one of the things, and I think you could probably relate to this, we don't learn this stuff in school. We don't learn how to be an entrepreneur at university. And you have to learn a lot of this stuff along the way. So another thing I wish I would have told my younger self is, do not think you have to have this all figured out. Do not beat yourself up because you don't know everything how to do, how to do everything. Nobody does. But I think the people that are willing to say, oh, well, I'm going to figure this out. I'll, I'll do it till it works. Those are the people that win. And that segues so beautifully into the question that I ask all of my guests, Amy. And that is, when was the last time you took imperfect action and what was the result? Ah, love, love, love this question. So let's see here. I've been trying, it was very recent. So I've been traveling for to do a lot of interviews for the last week. But before that, um, we launched a brand new done with you kind of program where we're helping people create their digital courses. It's expensive. It involves a one-on-one coach. It's I'm not the coach. So I had to hire coaches. I had to put together this whole curriculum and we beta tested it. We only took 30 people. I had no idea if it was going to work and I was very, very nervous. But I thought if I don't beta test this, I'll never, ever know. So we launched it and, and it launched well and people are in it, but there's some things we have to change. It's not working exactly as planned. We have to tweak. I have to be willing to not get it right out of the gate 14 years in, and I still have to be willing to start from scratch. So real quick, I want to expand on that. There's this concept that I teach called the capacity for zero. The higher your capacity for zero, the more likely you are to succeed as an entrepreneur. What I mean by capacity for zero is you're willing to start from zero people on social media, or you're willing to start with zero people on your email list. Zero dollars in the bank from your business. Or me, I'm willing 14 years in to start from zero knowledge of how to launch a done with you program with coaches and curriculum and having no clue how that's going to work. But I know I want this bad. I want to be an entrepreneur till the day I die. And so I have to start from zero, even when I've been doing it for a long time. The higher your capacity for zero, the more likely you are to succeed. So those that are listening, that they're in a nine to five job right now, and they have zero social media following for a business, zero people on their email list, be willing to start from zero and you cannot lose. I love that concept. That is, and I think also, especially like as your business grows, sometimes your ego and your pride can get in the way and you're like, I don't want to start anything from scratch again. Um, so I love, I love that you have that attitude and I love that concept and I love that you are willing to start something that you don't know so far along in your business. I love that. So And Amy, thank you so much for sharing all of this today. Where can our listeners connect with you and where can they find your book? Okay, so you can go to twoweeksnoticebook.com. So at twoweeksnoticebook.com, I have bonuses for anybody who buys my book. And so all the details will be there. But you can find the book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target.com, so many different places, any independent bookstore. But I promise you, grab this book so you can have a guidebook that will literally help you create a different kind of life, one that you never, ever even expected to meet your wildest dreams. And it will. So twoweeksnoticebook.com. And thank you so very much for having me for the third time. I feel very honored. I can't wait to have you on my podcast. I know we've been talking about that. My audience is going to love everything that you have to share as well. So Steph, thanks so much. Thank you, Amy. And like, as always, I appreciate, you know, everything you are doing for people in the online business space, everything you've shared with my listeners today. I think 
you know, it's so obvious how generous you are with your knowledge. And if you're listening to this episode right now, go back and listen to it again, because I guarantee you will get even more out of it the second time. Thank you so much, Amy, for being just the most incredible guest as always. Thank you, my friend. I can't wait to talk to you again soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.